Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us today from wherever you are. Whether you attend one of our Denver locations or listen online, our hope is to explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. And if you'd like to financially support our community and beyond as we set aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Thank you for joining us today. Before we get to this week's podcast, we want to take a brief moment to talk a little bit about giving. June 30th marks the end of our fiscal year. It's a time for us to pause, reflect in gratitude, and celebrate what your generosity has accomplished over the past year as we look forward in hopeful anticipation to the year ahead. Thank you for all you've given in your time, talent, and finances to bring about the healing work that God has entrusted to us. Now, in the spirit of our deeply held values of authenticity and transparency, we want to share with you all that we are behind our expected giving for the year. Know that all we do in and through Denver Community Church is only made possible by the financial support of those who call DCC home. To all those who have given faithfully over the past weeks, months, and years, thank you for entrusting us and partnering with us in this vital work. And if you call DCC home but have not yet considered giving financially, we ask that you would prayerfully discern joining us in supporting the healing work to which we are called. You can learn more about how we steward our finances by emailing us at info at denverchurch.org. And if you'd like to begin giving right now, you can start the process by texting Denver Church to 77977. Again, thank you for all that you give. My name is Scott Opliger, and I know some of you because I was on staff here for nine years, and my wife and I are still a part of this community and love it. So uh, you might have seen me, especially if you went to Wash Park. My role there was as neighborhood pastor. No longer doing that. I'm off the staff here at um, DCC, but uh, I joined my wife in a ministry that I was previously a part of called Athletes in Action. And I'm really excited about uh, being a part of this. It's a ministry focused on helping athletes and coaches come to know Christ, and then surf him to the platform they have through sports, both here in this country and around the world. So my wife Claire and I have the opportunity to help develop the leadership of that organization, and we're finding it really a, a really an exciting time to be doing that. So, But it's good to be back here. Um, one of the things I really enjoy about DCC is every Wednesday morning, I meet with a group of guys on Zoom, and we've been doing this before the pan- right when the pandemic started. We went to Zoom, and we stayed that way because we live all over the city. But it's a men's group, and one of the things that we enjoy doing is we discuss the sermon from Sunday morning. So um, then we also dig into our lives. We find out how we're doing. Really good place to be honest and open. So anyway, if you're you're a guy and you're interested in being a part of that, just look on our website under groups, and I'd love to have you become part of that. We're taking a break for July, so starting August 3rd, we'll start up again. We just wanted to mention that an opportunity that I'm excited about that that I'm a part of. Uh, If you've been around the last few weeks, you know that we've been looking at the book of Luke and going through this, the gospel of Luke. And every week I'm kind of amazed at the brilliance and wisdom and passion and compassion of Jesus. And today is no exception. We're going to look at a story from the life of Jesus. And I think it's, even though it's, you know, it happened like 2,000 years ago, whatever, 
um, what happened there and what we can learn, and I think how we can live that out now is incredibly relevant. So would you join me in prayer as we get started and simply acknowledge that God is here and the God who wants to help us learn and grow is here with us right now. So God, thank you that you are here. Thank you that uh, your heart of love for us is amazing. And thank you that uh, you're calling us today to, to follow you and your ways. And we need a lot of help in doing that. So may even our time here be one way in which we can take another step forward in the journey that you have us on. Uh, in following you. So we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. Um, if you want to turn there, Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 27. By the way, as Nick mentioned when he started, uh, if you weren't here yet, way to go getting here this morning. Uh, I bet we all have an interesting story uh, Claire and I and our granddaughter, uh, Aubrey, we were, tried to get her really early, and it, we weren't as early as we thought we'd be. But we, we, at one point, we just got stuck south of here and stopped and asked a policeman. Um, and he, he said something like, well, to tell you the truth, not that I would lie to you, <laughs> but here's how, what you have to do. And it was way going way around. So anyway, we made it. Glad you're here as well. Luke chapter 5. After this, and the after this is when what Amanda Lum uh, taught on last week about the, the man who was paralyzed, his friends lowered him and he was healed. So that's after that. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we have this, the first part of this, we're going to look at different parts of this little, little story. It's, again, it's... it's Luke has compacted a lot of things into these few verses, and we want to look at it. And starting with Levi, it, it appears that somehow Jesus knows who he is, and somehow Levi knows a little about who Jesus is, because Jesus says, follow me, and Levi basically leaves everything and follows him. And we'll talk more about this, but what that meant for Levi as a tax collector was a huge shift in his life, a huge change, rethinking everything, and, and uh, on a new trajectory of life. And we'll talk more about what that means in a minute. But just to get the idea of what, what this meant for Levi. And a matter of fact, it looks like it meant so much to him that he had to tell all of his friends. So he has this great banquet. And back then in particular, people didn't have great banquets. There were only a handful of people that could afford, first of all, having a great banquet or would have the space to have a great banquet in their home. But Levi did. So he invites all, these, all his friends that are tax collectors and others that we're not sure who they are to come. And um, <laughs> what's interesting, if you were here last week or listened to Amanda's message, which was a really good one, by the way, if you haven't heard it, I'd encourage you to go back to it. The Pharisees and teachers of the law showed up last week when Jesus was teaching in this house where this man was healed. And now again in this story, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law show up. And they're not there to honor Jesus. 
You probably know if you're familiar with the New Testament all that the Pharisees were threatened by Jesus. They thought they had to get rid of Jesus, and ultimately their actions led to his death on a cross. But in this instance, they show up, and you know, there's, there's different groups of religious leaders back then, but the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and the Sadducees were the main groups. And they weren't just like a pastor to local church. They were the center of authority for religious, religious things, social and even political things in, in the nation of Israel. So they had a lot of power and influence and, dare we say, control in their position. And the Pharisees in particular, and Amanda did a great job last week of describing them if you want to learn more about them, but basically they set up a whole bunch of laws, 613 of them, that you had to obey if you're going to be in good with God. And they put a lot of pressure on people, and it really wasn't you know, the right thing to do, and Jesus saw that. So in case you ever want to, want to remember the Pharisees, just think of it this way. Uh, it's not right they did, that they do that. It's not fair, I see. Uh, a few of you got it. It's early. I'm sorry. Uh, how about one more? Okay, sorry. Um, the other group were the Sadducees, and they did not believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were Sadducee. You guys got it. Okay, no more of those. We're done with that. But the, these Pharisees and teachers of law, they'd learned their lesson from the previous episode with Jesus because they confronted Jesus directly, and when it was all over, their heads were spinning because of the wisdom and the insight and the power of Jesus. So this time, it's pretty fascinating. They don't ask Jesus a question. They talk to, their, to his disciples. And, and you know, it says here that, that um, <clears throat> the Pharisees and teachers of the law Complain to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so we're going to take a minute to look at, so why were they so upset that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners? Well, it was very scandalous for, for a couple of reasons. First of all, the tax collectors, you probably know this if you've been around church before, the tax collectors were the, one of the most despised people in Israel. The reason for that were two, twofold. One is they were considered traitors because they were working for the Roman government, and the Romans were the oppressive enemy of the Jews. Secondly, they were extortioners, because they not only charged tax on people through the Roman government, but they decided they would add on some extra. So they were lining their pockets with the extra from people who didn't have much to begin with. So they were very despised, and in the minds of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, tax collectors were permanently unclean. Like the leper from Becca Stewart's message two weeks ago, again, another great message if you haven't heard it, listen to it. But just like the leper who was unclean, the Pharisees saw tax collectors as permanently unclean. So they put them in this category where they were never allowed to go into the temple and they were, just, they were the outcasts of the outcasts. Which, looking at the previous two episodes with Jesus, a leper and someone who was, who was paralyzed, here comes a man who in the world's eyes has everything. But he too is seen as, as unclean. And I think we have a tendency to um, kind of lump people into a group, right? We kind of have this tendency to kind of classify a group of people and give them an identity. And that's what the Pharisees did here. And we might think, well, do, do we do that? Um, I think we do. And we're going to look at that in just a little bit about how that plays out. Because most of the times, 
kind of wherever we are and what we believe and how we live, we, we think that's the right way and the good way. And so if someone else is believing something else or living a different way, that they're wrong and bad. And it can be, you know, it can be ethnicity or nationality, appearance, social issues, it can be politics, it can be religious stuff. Um, I think we all know we have a tendency to do that in our country. And we have a tendency to do that ourselves. And we don't have to look any further than a Supreme Court decision on Friday or a wonderful pride parade today and see how people have very different opinions about things. And here's, here's, here's the danger and the catch. My observation is, is, is the, the more that someone disagrees with you that are further away from how you think things should be, the more we have a tendency to dislike or dismiss or even mistreat that person or group of people. And, and there's this sense where we, where we even can dehumanize people because we, we don't make them into to someone who are sitting next to you, but they're that person over there, the other, a phrase that we use sometimes to describe that kind of connection to someone. And so the more that um, someone is, is different than us, the more there can be this dislike, distaste, dismissiveness towards them, and especially towards a group. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And there's a couple of ways, I think, to, to look at our faith in relation to this. And the concepts I'm going to share right now have been really helpful for me in looking at this. And we're going to look at the difference between a bounded set and a centered set. So a bounded set is what the Pharisees did. In other words, they set up this, the, all these rules and obligations and said, if you follow these, you're inside the boundaries of all these laws and rules. God's good with you and we're good with you. But if you break those, if you go outside of those, you're no longer in the in-group, you're in the out-group. You're no longer accepted. You're no longer welcomed. You're no longer part of this in-crowd. And one of the ways that I've kind of well, helped me understand this is Here's a picture of the farm I grew up on in Nebraska. Actually, we're headed there today after we're done here for a week. So on the back is the Platte River, and when my dad was alive, he had maybe a 1,000 head of cattle on the cattle farm. And all of those cattle, and you can kind of see it, and there's the next picture might be a little clearer. They're all in pens. Uh, Guess who helped build all those fences? Yes, that was my summer job. Um, they were in pens, and you knew which cattle belonged in which pen. And, and it was important because of the kind of feed they were getting, how long they were going to be there. It was really a, a big deal when one got out and got, would try to get into another pen. So there was a clear boundary of this is where you belong. You get outside of these boundaries, uh, it's not good. And so we can do that uh, in our faith, where we say, well, here's the belief system that I think is right. And as long as you're agree with that belief system, you're in. You're good, and you're good with God. It might be belief systems. It might be behaviors. And we set up, oh, here's, here's what a Christian should look like. Here's how a Christian should act. Here's what a Christian should believe. And we have this tendency to come up with this, well, here, here's what it means. And if you're not in, you're out. And there's a lot of ramifications for what it means to be out in the Christian faith. And so this, this, this is kind of, a, I think, a very limited view. And when you think about what the Pharisees were doing by excluding and eliminating people from the temple and from knowing God, 
well, we can, we can do that too. And maybe you've experienced that yourself. I think we've been on both sides of those, of those boundaries at times. And so what, what's the other way to approach this? Well, the other way to approach this is called a centered set, where there are some boundaries somewhere, but that's not what's important. What's important is what is the organizing principle that makes all of this together? Or maybe a better way to say it, and again, going to the, the illustration here, then the next slide. Out in western Nebraska, I grew up in eastern Nebraska, you can drive for miles and you see cattle. They seem like they're wandering around out, out in these fields. What keeps them from just wandering off forever? Well, what keeps them from wandering off is the source of life, which is water. They're always going to come back to that source of life because that's where their, their sustenance is, and they can find it nowhere else. So one of the ways I like to look at our faith is that Jesus is that source of faith, or I'm sorry, source of life. And if Jesus is our source of life, the question isn't so much, am I behaving correctly? Do I believe the right things? But the question is, am I moving towards Jesus? Is that the trajectory of my life, of moving toward Jesus? If you think about when Jesus called Levi, he didn't say, would you please fill out this religious belief questionnaire so I can see if you qualify to be one of my disciples? He just said, follow me. And Levi decided to follow him. And it didn't matter that he was a tax collector. Jesus healed the leper. It didn't matter he was a leper. Jesus healed the paralyzed man. It didn't matter that he was paralyzed. Jesus just said, would you come to me because I'm the source of life. And in me, you will find meaning and purpose. And your life can make a difference in this world that so desperately needs a difference because of my love. So Jesus comes along and and kind of throws everything upside down. And where the the Pharisees wanted to dehumanize people, and I, I thought it's fascinating. I have it in my notes. We read it in the liturgy. Jesus comes to deeply humanize people. How many forces are out there today that want to deeply humanize people, to allow us to be fully the humans that we are? And for Jesus, that meant a lot. I can picture Jesus um, being at this great banquet full of tax collectors and sinners, all these unclean people. But yet when Jesus looked around the room, he didn't see, well, there's a tax collector. He's, He's cheating people. And there's well, there's a prostitute. Oh, my goodness, what's she doing here? You know, what kind of life does she have? Well, there's someone who's unclean. They can't go in the temple. He didn't see that. You know what he saw? He saw the, the priceless, precious crown of creation, which is us as humans, made in the image of God. And I can almost see him being at the banquet saying, oh, there's, he's in the image of God, and she's in the image of God. And oh, those, those two guys... Man, they're in the image of God. They're priceless and precious. Or those two up there, they're in the image of God. He just had this profound, I think, a profound sense that people are absolutely amazing. And it's not about what they believe. It's not about how they act. It's about who they are and who they're willing to become. So going back to the story, Jesus... Um, is, I think, kind of standing by when the Pharisees ask the disciples, you know, what, 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 you know why, do you, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? I think there's like outside the banquet area. I kind of picture them talking out there, and I kind of picture the disciples going, well, uh, 
golly, to be honest, I'm not sure. I don't, I, I, what do you, Peter, what do you think? I don't, I don't know here. It's not like Jesus steps in, and Jesus has something to say. And what he has to say follows a theme that he talks about again and again, and that theme is there are righteous people and there are sinners. But when Jesus talked about it, the righteous sinner, I mean, I'm sorry, the righteous person was not really righteous, was not really right with God is one way to say righteous, but they were just righteous in their own eyes. We might call it self-righteous, as the Pharisees were. The Pharisees, and I think they had good intentions, but they fully believed that they followed those laws that God was good, they were good with God and accepted by God. But it was based upon their own works, their own abilities. And if someone else didn't follow that, they weren't in with God. And so I, here's, here's a, a paraphrase, because here's what Jesus said. He simply said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, here's the Dr. Opliger translation. Um, <clears throat> not that Jesus isn't clear, but I think this is some of the things that he was saying in this. So, talking to the Pharisees, apparently you think because you keep all these external laws that you are perfectly healthy, your heart, your soul, your spirit, and you're good with God too. Well, as long as you stick to that story, Jesus says, I'm not sure what I have to offer you. On the other hand, my friends here, the tax collectors and sinners, those unclean people, my friends here are quick to acknowledge their flaws and their failures and their need. So I'm inviting them to join me in this kingdom life I'm bringing to earth so that they can be healed and transformed, become the people they were created to be, and they can be a transforming force in our world. So I think Jesus was setting this up to say, don't you guys as Pharisees get it that you've missed the point here? That you're so concerned about people living and acting a certain way that you've missed this sense of what your need is for God and a relationship with God? And it reminds me of when Jesus talked about the log and the speck. It's, it's like the, the, the Pharisees had this huge log called self-righteousness, but all they could see were this, was where, how everyone else was failing. And that was their focus, and that was their life. But for Jesus, that, that wasn't the case. And it's, it's really fascinating that I think <clears throat> when Jesus made that statement to them, again, my, my guess is they're kind of scratching their heads going, you know, I think he's talking about us here. What do you think? <laughs> and I think they wondered about what is happening here. And Jesus, what Jesus was doing, I think it's, just, it's incredibly brilliant because he is asking the Pharisees to repent. And re repent, you know, we can kind of have this religious sense of that word. And if you've heard our lead pastor Michael talk about repent, it's to change direction. You're kind of going this way, and then you change direction going this way, and you, you rethink everything is repentance. And so what I think Jesus is saying here is to the Pharisees, you need to repent, not, not of a bunch of sins that you're committing, but this one big thing that you're missing, you think you can get to God on your own. You think your arbitrary um, laws that you've come up with based upon the Torah have to be followed in order to know God, and you feel like you're following them perfectly. You need to repent of that. You need to change direction. You need to rethink everything. 
just as he called the tax collector, just as he called Levi to change his direction and to rethink everything. But that was based upon what Levi had decided to do as well. And so this, this, I think there's this call by Jesus to say, yeah, uh, uh, you know, if you're sick, you need a doctor. But if you think you're totally healthy, you're not going to go to the doctor. But here's the situation. <clears throat> we all need a doctor. We all need healing and growth and maturing and becoming more and more the, God, that God, the person that God created us to be. And it's, it's like, I think sometimes we, we kind of sense that, you know, Jesus is like a lawyer in the courtroom. <laughs> My good friend Al here is an attorney. Um, <clears throat> and just peppering us with questions about what did you do here and why did you do this? And we're being prosecuted by Jesus because he wants to know all of our, all the stuff going on w- within us. Um, Jesus already knows all that. <laughs> He's more like the doctor who says, here's what's wrong with you. Let, let me take care of it. Let me be a part of your healing and your changing and becoming all that you were created to be. So what can stand in our way of our own growth, transformation, and dare I say even our own connection with God can be a lack of, of honesty, a lack of saying, God, I acknowledge this is who I am and here's my flaws and failures and here's how I need you. Because that was the stance the Pharisees had and they missed the boat entirely. Um, John Townsend and Henry Cloud wrote a book called How People Grow, where they talk about a lot of these kind of dynamics. And here's, here's one of the things they said about this. It's important to experience our state of incompleteness before God. <clears throat> this can be due to weakness, weaknesses, unfulfilled needs, emotional injuries and hurts at the hands of others, and our own immaturities and sins. It has to do with those parts of ourselves that are not what they should be, and that we cannot repair in our own strength. When we experience at a deep level our neediness, when our eyes are open to our brokenness, then our state of incompleteness drives us outside of ourselves to God as the source of healing and hope. When we are comfortably independent, it's easy to avoid our need for God. And I think we need God. And I think that hopefully as we're honest about who we are and what's going on in our lives, we, we see that we do need the life that God offers. We, we do need encouragement and strength and grace and forgiveness and love. We need those things. That's how we were designed to connect with God in that way. And when Jesus talked about this kind of repentance so you can experience that, you know, he, he wasn't, I think sometimes we also think that this is about, well, he, he wanted people to stop sinning. Well, Yes, he wanted them to stop sinning, but that, that, that was not the focus. Again, that, that's, that's kind of like setting up the boundaries of you're living outside of this, now live inside this, rather than, no, come to me as the source of life. Jesus knew full well the incredible destruction that sin causes. Sin against us, the, the things that we do that go against God. Um, one of the definitions of sin that I like is, is living life or trying to live life without God trying to live life on our own as a definition of sin because it, it just doesn't work. And I think Jesus called people to repentance not so much to say, here's all the wrong things I'm doing, but here's the wrong direction I've been going. Here's the wrong thinking that I've been having. And as we, uh, as we probably know, this, this isn't just, you know, it's not just about us. 
Uh, you know, as wonderful it is for, for us to be experience healing and growth and change in, in God's touch in our life and forgiveness and grace to experience all those things. But I think we all know that hurt people hurt people and healed people heal people and transform people transform people. And I would guess that there's not one of us in here that doesn't want to be a part of the group that's, a, that's healed and transformed that have that kind of impact on our world. And that's one of the, to me, the, one of the beautiful things about DCC is that's part of our commitments to be agents of healing in our world today. Um, as I mentioned, you know, two weeks ago, the leper was healed. A complete miracle that the man went from having leprosy to having his <clears throat> skin be totally clean. And then last week, again, another miraculous healing, a man who couldn't walk stood up and walked away. But those were just the exterior physical healing. Those two men also experienced a healing in their soul, experienced forgiveness, they experienced the touch of Christ, they experienced love, acceptance, and all those things that, um, <clears throat> that only Jesus can give us as our Creator and Savior. <clears throat> and then you come to Levi in today's story. There's, there's no miraculous healing. There's no you know, physical change that Levi goes through. But I would dare to say that the miracle that happened in Levi is maybe even greater than those. Because here was a man who was after money and was probably lonely, probably discouraged, probably felt this sense of guilt and shame for doing what he was doing as a tax collector. And Jesus comes along and he heals his soul by inviting him to follow Jesus and the life that Jesus has. What can we learn from this passage today? <clears throat> I would like to suggest four things that we can learn from this. <clears throat> the first one is, is boundaries. And the reason I'd say boundaries is because going back to that bounded set, you know, when you look at the Pharisees and how they live their life, what can we learn from that? Well, you may not know this, but our lead pastor, Michael, has written a couple of books. They're actually really good, by the way. One of them is called Changing Faith, and here's what Michael says uh, in this book, Changing Faith. Jesus ate with tax collectors who were known for corruption and exploitation of the poor, and he ate with the poor who were exploited by tax collectors. Jesus sat at the table with the hardcore religious, and he ate dinner with the sinners, the religious despised. He pushed against every social, religious, and political barrier set up in his day and ate with all who welcomed him to their table. This is the great line here. Jesus demonstrated that the only boundaries that exist with regard to the love of God are the ones we create. Punchline, God destroys our barriers and erases our boundaries so we may want to practice the art of letting go of ours. This isn't designed to kind of, you know, dig deep to feel some kind of guilt or shame about how we might view other people or other groups of people. But I think there's a great invitation here. To, to, to take a look inside and say, you know, Jesus, how would you have me live? How would you have me treat people? And, you know, even Jesus said it, you know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, it's, it's easy for, you know, a tax collector to love another tax collector because they're friends. What about loving your enemies? What does that look like? So it's a huge challenge, I agree. And that's why I think God calls us 
to become transformed and to change because without that change, we can't live out the life that he's calling us to. So boundaries. Um, later in the, in the book, uh, I don't have it up on the screen, but Michael said something like this, that the, the church is at its worst when it's the moral police. The church is at its best when it's a healing presence. And, you know, by God's grace, may we be a healing presence in our world, whether it's in our, the house we live in, our neighborhood, this city, or the world. May we be that healing presence. So first, first thing we learn is about boundaries. Second thing, um, or barriers. And the second thing is uh, honesty. Honesty. As I kind of said before, what kept the Pharisees from experiencing all that God had for them was their inability to be honest with themselves about what they were doing, the inability to, to, to do that. And later in Luke, Jesus has this great story about the tax collector and the Pharisee who are offering their, their sacrifice at the altar, and how the, <clears throat> the Pharisee basically looks over, and, well, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there, God. And so that sense of superiority and having all the right answers and being totally right all the time. What does it look like to be honest? Uh, <clears throat> if you've ever been a, <clears throat> excuse me, a part of AA or have friends that have or family, um, you know, there's 12 steps in the AA process, Alcoholics Anonymous. And the fourth step is a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And I think that's what God invites us to do. Is, is, to, is to have this searching and fearless moral inventory. Again, not to dredge up guilt and shame and all that. Guess what? All that's been forgiven already. But if we're going to live the lives that God has for us, we need his grace and love and mercy and forgiveness as we live out our lives so that our lives can be transformed. Which is, next one. <clears throat> so barriers, honesty, the third one's transformation. Going back to the, the calling of Levi, what's, what's beautiful about this story, and I think one of the reasons that Jesus did it, and I think one of the reasons that it's in the Scripture, and Luke put it there, is because Levi went from being this tax collector who was living, in, this, in many ways, the opposite kind of life that, that you would expect someone who's following God would. Instead, turned and started following Jesus. And what's fascinating about his story is we don't know exactly what happened right here in this part of the story, except that he was so excited about this, he had to invite all his friends. But if you go to Matthew, where the same story is told by Matthew, we find out that Levi is actually Matthew of the New Testament. So we do know how the story ends. <clears throat> we do know that this Levi that left everything and decided to follow Jesus, his life really was transformed because he came, became one of the 12 disciples. He, he wrote the first gospel that's in our, our New Testament, Matthew. And his life was incredibly impacted to the point where he was willing to die for his love for Jesus. And so that's our hope, is that we can experience that kind of transformation. Not the martyr's death, just to be clear. The fourth thing is, is belonging. Probably the, the message that comes through this passage more than anything else is that, that we all belong at the table. One of the guys in our, my men's group on Wednesday morning uh, was here last week for Father's Day. And I'm just going to read uh, what he, he wrote on Facebook 
last Sunday. For those who grew up without a father, this one's for you. I was sitting in church this morning. We were singing a song about coming and being invited to God's table. During the song, I started having a conversation with God. He knew that I have always struggled with and avoided Father's Day and always tried to distract myself by saying, look over there, (laughs) and push my illegitimate and abandoned son feelings deep down inside where I don't have to deal with them. But then I started thanking God for all the blessings, abundance, and clarity he has brought into my life. I started tearing up and tears started rolling down my face. No, I don't have a father or ever had one, but I have so much more. I was deeply filled with joy and simply asked God, why, why me? What did I do to deserve this? God said, you are my chosen son. You are my chosen one. You always have been and you always will be. You've always had me and you always will have me. Be reminded that we all are invited to the table. Nobody gets left behind. Gay, straight, Christian, Muslim, atheist, agnostic, questioning, faithless, hopeless, broken, wounded, abandoned, hurt, depressed, the lost and lonely, the sick and the HIV positive, and everyone in between. This is how I will now always remember Father's Day moving forward. Thank you, God, and happy Father's Day. I know this guy really well, and it's been, golly, just so amazing to see his growth and healing and transformation the last few years. Um, Just as miraculous as healing a leper has been the the, the change in his life. So as as I close this morning, um, I want a a couple of reminders. One, um, the the heart that God has for us uh, is consistent throughout the Scripture. Sometimes it's a little hard to find, but it's there. And in the the book of Zephaniah, it's this um, little-known minor prophet The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And that last phrase is one that strikes me. Not only is, um, you know, God take great delight in us, the picture I have is, and this word for um, singing over us is is a word, ranon, Hebrew word, ranon, which means like this joyful, jubilant song. I picture when we wake up in the morning that that God's somehow over you and he's singing this joyful celebratory song just about you. And we see that in the heart of Jesus when he talks about in, in later in Luke about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son of God's unrelenting pursuit of us because his love for us. So this morning, I simply want to uh, finish by declaring to you that you are prized, you're valued, you're cherished, you're esteemed, and you're loved. And Jesus stands with arms wide open and, and invites you and accepts you and treasures you and wants to be with you. And it's those same arms that were stretched wide open to die on a cross where he demonstrated that love for us, that extraordinary love, that overwhelming love, that reckless love, that never-ending love. And so if there's someone who doesn't think that you 
are who you are. Maybe there, maybe someone who's doesn't who has put you in a box or classified you or don't don't believe them. Um, believe God, and maybe you yourself in your own heart and mind aren't sure. Um, my encouragement would be to simply believe God. You, every one of you, are invited to the table. Nobody gets left behind. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that um, your love is so amazing we really can't even grasp it or understand it. But we get enough of a picture of it and we see it lived out in so many ways that it's a beautiful thing that we want to experience. So I pray for, <clears throat> for all of us here and whoever's listening or watching that we may understand and accept a little bit more about what it means that we are totally welcomed at the table, not just, we're not just put up with there, but your heart is so much for us to be there and you long to have us in relationship with you. So may that be true for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.